When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's what everybody, we are back, and this is episode 219. I had 1,500 titles written for this. Mike knows it. I had a I had a massive list of titles, and we've landed on how to raise your prices. I had subtitles. I had series titles. I had colons in there, dashes, probably some numbers at some point. Pretty wild. But this is what we landed on, and we're going to be talking about how to raise your prices and how to talk to customers and our customers being cheap or, you know, or, or, or people that are claiming they're making a bunch of money in the web dev industry, in the website creation game. Are they lying? Are they, you know, really making peanuts, but they're saying they're making millions or saying they're making thousands? Like, well, what's going on? So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on Patreon, leave a review or a rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server or share this with your friends. And just before I even start the introduction, I want to just say for anyone that does not know, Mike and I do run a web dev agency called Digital Dynasty Design. And that's where we get a lot of the information for this. We don't just run a podcast. So um, a lot of this stuff is going to be more or less from our experience, from what we've seen and all those type of things. Uh, but if you have a completely different experience and you disagree with some of the stuff we say, please let us know in any of the socials because we'd love to hear from other perspectives because we're just one agency in a sea of agencies, if you will. But anyway, moving on here to the actual show, we've all seen articles and videos that boast huge returns from projects from website projects that are sometimes just done on WordPress with no code tools. There's no custom design. There's no custom anything. It's just WordPress, a theme, some no code tools, and that's it. Nothing's custom at all. And those are totally fine, but people are boasting, Hey, I'm making 10 grand on this five grand on this 20 K on this, you know, whatever it is. And you're thinking to yourself, Whoa, like this is pretty wild. I would charge three grand. I would charge two grand. I would charge one grand. Well, how are they getting these how are they getting these clients that are willing to pay 20 grand? Is this a scam? Is this whatever? Now, these numbers to us, like the 20K, the the, the 10K, the, the 15K, they kind of seem like a pipe dream to us as well because we sometimes work with clients that aren't even willing to pay a few hundred dollars for a full custom site. Now, of course, clients that are way below where we're comfortable doing a service at, we just say, hey, sorry, you know, this isn't going to work out. But I'm sure if you're questioning and, and thinking, man, these, these prices, 10, 20, 30 K, whatever are crazy. You're probably in that same boat of thinking, man, either I'm doing something wrong or I'm charging too little. Maybe my customers are cheap. You know, what's happening? Where does this disparity come from? Are the articles and the videos claiming these gains? Are they lying? Uh, where, where, where does the problem lie? Is it me? Is it the customers? Is it the articles? Is it the videos? Like what's going on here? And the answer that we're going to really focus on is value. How valuable is the product slash the website that you're making? And I want to be clear, just a little bit of a language thing is that throughout this episode, I'm going to be using the terms customer and clients interchangeably. So they're the same thing, unless clearly stated otherwise. 
So the main thing with a website project, with a web project, whatever it is, is that you need to really bring value to the table. And there's a bunch of questions that you can ask yourself when you're trying to identify the value. So overall, you want to determine what your website or what your project is doing for the customer, for your customer. They're coming to you saying, hey, I need a website to do this. How much value is that adding to their business, to whatever it is that they're doing, to their hobby, to their portfolio? What What is it doing for them? And for us, we've kind of come up with a list of questions that we kind of ask ourselves and take a look at when we look at what value is this product offering. And that, and the first one here is, is the customer established? So some clients have an established base of their own customers. So they are working for people as well. And they're not looking to add new ones actively. They're not out there trying to get their first few, their first few customers. They are, they're just set up and they're just looking for a new site. And therefore the website that you're making them will more than likely serve just as a business card and is not going to be right there in the middle of their day-to-day operations. Now, this is, of course, assuming that their business can be conducted without the use of the website itself. Think of something like like an accountant, or think of something like uh, a car salesman, where they have a, an in-person lot, and the accountant has in-person meetings and calls and, and emails, stuff like that. The website isn't selling the cars. The website isn't selling or isn't setting up the tax documents for for the accountant's clients, those are things that are done around the website. And the website is more or less a marketing tool in these particular cases. And therefore, the customer is established. And so they're not going to see the website that they or that you've made them as something that's very, very crucial or something that's really, really uh, important as say someone who hires you to make an e-commerce site, and that's the primary way they make money. That person needs your website. These other, these other people are established and are already established or already working. And they just want a website or they want a little bit of marketing, but they don't need that website. The next question here, does the website perform a task for their business? So I already mentioned e-commerce, e-commerce websites, you know, maybe a major, maybe, or may have, may majorly, excuse me, rely on the website because it's e-commerce. So you have a client and they sell, uh, golf clubs and they're all about selling golf clubs online. Well, if your website is the only place they sell it on, if they're not on uh, Kijiji, which is the Canadian version of Craigslist, if they're not on Craigslist, if they're not on all these other things, and they're primarily selling from the website you're about to make them, that's pretty major for them. And without the website that you're making, they'd be majorly affected. So the value is very high for what you're making. And with that value, and I'll mention this throughout the show, but with that value comes higher price. Someone who sees, like, let's say, for example, you approach the accountant from the previous example and you say to them, I can do this website. It's just a business card website. I can do this for $500, but I would really like to install a plugin for you that handles um, emails 
handles, handles email forms. And that's going to be an extra, say, $50 a month just for the sake of example. And I, you know, I want to, I, I think this is the best form, uh, program, plugin, whatever for WordPress. And I think you should have it. The chances are they're, they're probably not going to go for that. They're probably going to say, ah, you know, let's keep it at the 500. Let's not care. But the person that's doing the e-commerce, you bring them something that you think brings value to their business, like the form, the form software. They may say, well, why do you think that? And you can say, oh, it's, you know, it's secure. People can, you know, send this securely. They can uh, easily, we can easily make multiple types of forms. So in the case of the e-commerce, they can file for returns right from it. They can file this. They can file that. Everything's just right there. That person might say, hey, that is worth $50 a month to me. Let's do it. So you you can see how the, your price can increase. Also, obviously, because you're installing it, maybe you charge an extra $100 or something to install that software. But you, you see you see the general idea where value kind of gives you more wiggle room and you can talk to the person that you're providing the value to and say, Hey, like, I think you should do this because I think it's going to bring you a lot of uh, revenue or I think it's going to give your uh, employees a lot of convenience. Well, that convenience has to have value um, within the case of the accountant, for example. If, if you say, Hey, I want to, I want to install a website editor for you so you can easily edit your website versus you having to call me, they might think, sure, that is convenient, but why would I do that? I'm never going to change this. And if I do, I'll just call you or some other web developer and they'll change it for me because they're not thinking of, of their website every day like the e-commerce client is. And so it's, it's absolutely something to consider where they, if they don't value it as much, they're going to see a higher price as a problem. Whereas a person that really values what you're making, if you give that value, they're going to look at maybe the higher price as, yeah, but they are giving us this great form software. They're giving us a great checkout thing. They're giving us good security, whatever, whatever you're offering. You know what? Let's do it because we're going to make this money back in two months and this website's going to last more than two months. So let's do that. Stuff like that. The next one here, the next question we ask ourselves, this one's a little bit weird and took us a while to come up with, but does the website have a substitute? So for example, does the client have just a Google My Business card? So if you don't know what that is, that is if you uh, Google a business, like you Google your local McDonald's or something, and it just comes up on the side um, or at the top, wherever near the top of the search results, and it has the little card where it shows a couple of pictures from Google Maps. It shows you their website, um, their hours, their opening hours, uh, where uh, where they are. You can like navigate right to it and a bunch of other information, a little description of what they do, stuff like that. Sometimes there's a menu in there as well, whatever. It shows you all that stuff. Is that like, does that particular McDonald's location, that specific McDonald's location, does it need a website or does it need a Google card or Google My Business card? And many have both. But if the website went down, would their web presence be really hurt all that much? Would Are people looking at the Google My Business card or are they going to the website. And we built a website and set up the Google My Business card and uh, the and set up specific pins for different locations and all kinds of stuff for a client within the last couple of years. And their Google My Business card 
exploded their business. They were getting hundreds of calls and this and that and the other thing, like a major success story from the Google My Business card. Now, yes, a bunch of people were clicking the website button and going to the website. But if the website had disappeared for some reason, it wasn't working anymore. That person's online presence is still very relevant. And people would just say like, oh, I guess the website's down. And they would go and they could still call him. They could still text him. They could still find him. So does the website have a substitute? This is especially true for people that list things in multiple locations. An example would be something like Kijiji Autos. Again, I mentioned Kijiji is a basically a Canadian Craigslist, if you will. Canadian classifieds a section, if you will. But there's an autos uh, version or an autos section uh, to Kijiji. So let's say, for example, uh, the client is a car dealer, but they actually do want to list the cars online. They want to list the prices. They want to list the cars. They want to have a button there where you can call or send an email right about that that car right away. And you can say, like, hey, is this car still available? Like, you know, what's going on here? Well, they could substitute that functionality with their own website or they could substitute it or sorry, they could have the functionality on their own website, but they can also substitute that functionality with something like a GG autos. They could do that. And think about the data entry that's going to happen there where someone's going to have to go in, go into Kijiji auto, fill in all the information for the car, then go into their website, fill in all the information for the website. And then, and this is where things start to get a little bit murky where this is where the value can be great or not great. In the beginning, when you make them the website and get them set up on Kijiji Autos, they're going to be gung-ho to fill out everything. But Kijiji Autos is pretty popular. There's a lot of people on there, and their website, especially if it's new, is probably going to bring in less people. So over time, their staff, or they themselves, are going to be less likely to fill in all the car listings on their website. And we've seen it several times where we've We've placed uh, like listing areas on sites where people want to list things for sale. And eventually they stop updating that and they just say, hey, can you just make a button or point a link to my Craigslist, my eBay, uh, my Kijiji Auto, whatever it is. The website's functionality has been substituted. And so you have to look out for this type of stuff when going into a web project because it's 2022. As of recording this, of course. We like a bunch of places already have websites and a lot of the the projects you're going to be going into, or at least for in our experience, are not new. They're updating old or fixing old. And so you can take a look around for the substitutions. You can be like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm about to do a little work for this car dealership. I'm going to check a GG autos. I'm going to check all these other aggregate services that they may use auto trader, all that type of stuff. I'm going to I'm going to look around and see if they're using that. And I'm going to bring that up and say, hey, I noticed that, you know, you post cars every month, but your site that I'm updating hasn't posted a car in three months. What's up? Oh, you know, it's kind of a pain to put it up in both. It's like, oh, hang on. You know, can we embed AutoTrader in here? Can we uh, can we, you know, just link to it? Can we embed Kijiji Auto? Is there an automation process we can set up? Is there something that could be done with that substitute? And sometimes the substitute wins. And you just take it off their website. You take the car listings off their website and you just say, please view our car listings on AutoTrader. There's a link there and it leads them to there. And that lowers the value of the site because they're not seeing the site as valuable as the Kijiji Auto, the AutoTrader and all the other aggregate services. And so it's something to look for and it's something to prepare for if you're on a new project. You're on a new project. They haven't set up all their accounts more than likely everywhere, but it is key to, rem- to think about and think, okay, 
you know, these, these guys are brand new to the car selling business. Chances are they're going to go into Kijiji Autos eventually. I'm going to mention that to them now and just say like, Hey, are you going to go do this? You know, how does this affect the website for transparency? Now, some people would say, Oh, don't do that. Set it up exactly how they ask. And if they, you know, see the site as less valuable down the road, then forget about it. But for me, I would prefer to like have a discussion with them and say, Hey, you know, is Google my business good enough? Uh, the little card, uh, is, is uh, auto trader good enough for this is like, what is it? Because at the end of the day, I'm doing, I'm making less money, but I'm also spending less time. So I mean, I'm spending less time, time is money, spending less time. There you go. That's basically been solved. So that's, that's my take on substitutes for websites. Yeah. I think that's a really good take. And I, what I like about all of this is you're learning the the values of a business as well. You're not just talking about web development. You're talking about how you can help the actual business that you're working for that you could, you could be hired for. And I think that's a really important um, mistake that people make initially where they just try to essentially sell the most expensive package that they can to a business rather than trying to meet their needs where sometimes you're right, Matt, they don't need to have a website that lists all their cars that they have to manually go and update when there's already alternatives in place for that you can link to. There might be a situation though, as maybe they get more, um, more traffic, more business, you know, they start opening up multiple dealerships when it becomes more feasible for them to actually list it on their website and drive traffic to the website. That's those like, you have to know that barrier where you need to push on them to, make it so that they drive traffic to the website or if they're just starting out like Matt was saying have it have them rather use a third party service that is already designed for this so there there are these give and takes and sometimes that give is something that's going to actually lower your monthly or lower your actual cost and you're going to be taking money out of your own pocket but it establishes that trust and that knowledge that you have in their business or in at least an aspect of their business, which would be SEO marketing and web development. And those trust relationships can then lead to much more fruitful and longer term clients rather than just trying to get the max money as max value or money that you can from a client, no matter what their needs are. That's exactly true because as I mentioned, you know, we had a major success story with a local business with the, with setting them up on everything, the Google, my, uh, Google, my business and all that. And also a big thing was actually, uh, this person had a very large property and they needed, they needed their, their clients, their customers to go to a very specific part of the property because there was a sign and stuff, but Google and Apple maps would just lead them to this huge, massive multi acre area. And so it's like, well, hang on. You know, I need people to go to this area so they can see the sign and then see the signs to lead down the right driveway and, and et cetera. And we went in and, you know, fixed the pin on both and went to Apple and, and went through the procedure of getting their business submitted, proving it was real, all that stuff. Same with the Google map stuff as well. Got it all ready. And the next, the next year, you know, they were super happy and we ended up doing some maintenance on the Google, my business. Hey, can you move the pin a little bit? Can we make sure this is good? Maybe we should get a couple of pictures in there. And it just led to more business, you know, and, and, and ultimately there is a website there, but the website is not as popular um, as the Google My Business, but that's fine. Like we're adding value. Like our value is that we gave this person 
um, an online presence where there wasn't any before, where he, where he only had, um, word of mouth before and now has an online presence. It doesn't, we, because we're a web dev agency, we didn't have, we don't have to do web development. There's a lot of facets to this industry. And again, talking about value, the more value you offer, the more price, the, the, the higher you can raise your price, but also the more times you may be engaged. Like I said, we were engaged the one year, set it all up. They, he liked it a lot. The next year we're engaged again to do some upgrades. We did a little fit, little bit of maintenance on the site, a little bit of maintenance on the, the pins and stuff like that, getting the pictures to be nicer and stuff like that. So people had a visual cue, uh, so they could just easily navigate and things like that. That's like, that's not web development. I'm not sitting in React, sitting in JavaScript coding away. But that's still a lot of value. And I didn't raise my price, but I was got, but I was able to have two invoices instead of one. So you can see how adding value, chances are will add to what your bill, your invoicing can be, your billable hours, if you will. Next thing here, does the website have a dual function? And I mentioned dual function, but it could be many more than just two functions. So think about it this way. So a website CMS can be very powerful and therefore can provide people with all they need to perform full time hours. So what does that mean? Well, sometimes websites are used for a lot more than what the public sees when they browse to them. For example, a CMS that handles a live chat, a little live chat that's in the bottom right corner often of a website. Sometimes the website has the live chat there. That's all the user sees. That's the public side. But the CMS handles all the live chats that come in. And that that those conversations, that processing of data feeds an entire support department. The entire support department's workload feeds all of them and they're all they're all there full time. Another big one is e-commerce. E-commerce functionality, say for example, WooCommerce with its own applicable add-ons onto WordPress and Specific WooCommerce add-ons as well. I know WordPress loves its plugins on plugins, but, um, but WooCommerce with, you know, with a slew of other plugins attached to it can be used to handle inventory for smaller e-commerce websites and can also handle shipping stickers, et cetera. WooCommerce uh, itself, I believe, don't quote me, has an inventory tracking system where it'll say, you know, type in how much inventory uh, you have, if, uh, what the SKU is, like type in the SKU, how much inventory do you have of this SKU, um, we'll remove uh, one or we'll remove like if they're buying five, we'll remove five. If they're buying one, we'll remove one. We'll track this inventory. You know, if there's a return, do you want it added back into the inventory? Stuff like this. And again, like this is all accomplished with custom code, just WooCommerce, WooCommerce plus add-ons. Um, depending on where you're shipping things, it's like, hey, you know, we get, we, we have a shipping calculator for this area and maybe that shipping calculator is for Canada. And then the, um, something picks it up and, makes a little uh, one of the shipping labels, one of the shipping stickers for Canada Post, and it passes that to a printer. This can all happen in a website CMS, usually with a smaller site because really big places have huge inventory management with logistics and all kinds of stuff. But we're talking, you know, a small shop online can more than likely manage most, if not all of their online inventory, at least using just WooCommerce, maybe a couple of add-ons to it. You know, it's really it, it it is powerful. And you and that's, again, feeding potentially a full time person. There can be a full time order processing person where someone monitors the orders, goes in and says, OK, you know, this person ordered um, 
a keyboard and mouse. Perfect. They walk into the warehouse. They pick up a keyboard. They pick up a mouse. They throw it in the in the the bag, uh, in the box. They go to the back to the order. They print the sticker. They then put the sticker, pack the box, and ship it off. And all the while, inside of the WordPress CMS, they're changing the status of the order. You know, received, processing, has been shipped, etc. All that stuff feeds potentially a full time job or more, depending on volume. It feeds, it feeds a full-time job and it's just the CMS. So does the website have a dual or more function? If it does, clearly it's adding a whole bunch, a whole bunch of, of value to that per, to that client. So when, for example, let's just say you have, um, someone come to you that's like this, like they want to, they sell computer components and they primarily want to sell uh, online or small business and, they don't have any inventory management or anything. And you determine based on their volume of sales and all that, that WooCommerce plus any add-ons that are applicable uh, is, is completely fine. They could, they could completely use that. They look at it. They like it. You teach them how to use it a little bit, whatever. And they say, okay, sure. Put that in as my, uh, my website, but I'm only willing to sp- spend a hundred dollars. Then you have to start looking once again, you have to start thinking to yourself, okay, hang on. Like, you know, I'm putting a lot of value here. I'm training you. I'm, uh, you know, showing you something new. I'm uh, vetting the add-ons. I'm, you know, ensuring maybe there's like some sort of update system in place because you're going to want, you know, the latest or close to the latest WooCommerce version uh, because you use it so much. Uh, stuff like that. Like, really, you have to, you have to consider, you have to consider stuff like that. Um, and you have to look at the value. You have to look at the value and think, okay, I'm adding all of this value. This person wants me to wants me to only take $100, you know, I'm out of here. Or, hey, you know, this website, sure, it has WooCommerce installed, but um, they only use it for listing products. They don't actually sell online. So my value, like the value to them is less. They're only, they're not making revenue from the WooCommerce installed. They're just, they just have product listings. So, you know, maybe I can charge a little less for this, or maybe I can charge a little more when they start doing e-commerce stuff, that type of thing. So again, analyze the value in, in, uh, that you're that you're offering that you're giving to the client, and make a decision based on that. Now, sometimes you will need to ask yourself some questions about your own or your team's value of, as well, and what and how that or what that adds to a project. So, what do I mean by that? Like, what do you mean by you know I'm there, I'm doing the project. Like, you know, of course I'm valuable, I'm doing it. But think about this. If I'm in the industry for 10 years and I've been using the same code base for 10 years and this code base is still popular, I've, I've seen it all. You know, I've seen whatever the WordPress screen of death, uh, what, what the white screen of death on WordPress. I've seen the weird errors. I've seen, uh, you know, WooCommerce throw a fit when it's uh, paired with some other random plugin. I've seen, um, you know, Canadian dollars, not Canadian credit cards, not working on certain uh, charges, but it works on some others. I've seen, you know, we've seen it all. M- Mike and I, when we started and did a little bit of IT on the side, when, when our company first began, we worked with a project where if the remaining space on a hard drive was an odd number, the program would crash. I don't know if Mike remembers that, but that was like a legitimate thing. And it's like when once we have seen that, I, I remember that. Right. So. That experience really adds to your value as an agency or a freelancer. Your skill set matters, right? You you have relevant skills and you're good at them. Sure. How much experience you have with it also matters. 
How familiar are you with the technology that the project is calling for? Also, you could be a web dev and you always use WordPress. And someone comes to you and says, I want to use Webflow, arguably a simpler technology because it's no code. Tell you right now, you're going to go into you're going to go into Webflow and you're going to be able to get the job done 100 percent. But you're not going to be able to beat somebody. You're not going to be able to do a better job than someone who actually truly knows what's going on in Webflow, even though it's a no code tool. So that's a very valuable thing. That's a very valuable thing. Knowing the technology that you're working with, having experience across the industry, again, depending on depending on whatever the project is calling for and having the appropriate skill set that adds and retracts from your values and agency. And Mike has mentioned several times in the past where we've been working over the years over things and Mike, like we'll, we'll, you know, some major incident happens or some major development happens where. Um, you know, something really big has to be made and it's a huge hurdle. It's a serious problem. And then bam, we get it. And Michael even say to me in the future, we have like soon we have to raise our prices because now you understand X or now you know how to do X. One of the big things is, you know, we worked with the government going through a government, um, a government approval process is, is seriously, seriously not easy, especially in Canada, or at least from my experience, for whatever reason, it's not easy. Um, I've never done it before, so obviously that makes it harder. But now that if I had to do it again, I it might be easy to me because I've done it before. That adds value. So if a client comes to us and says, hey, you know, I need you to go through a government approval process. I'm not completely like, well, what does that mean? Where's the like I immediately? No. Hey, where's the documents? Where's this? Where's that? Which of the which of the packages um, of requirements applies to me? How specific are they about these? All that stuff. I know what to ask and all that. And sure, I've done it once. So I'm not, you know, a 10 year veteran of government projects, but I'm a hundred percent better than I was. And if I kept doing it and did another government project, it'd be a hundred percent better again and, and better again and better again. Obviously diminishing returns is at least so much to know about a, a given project, but still it still teaches me. And so like, you know, Mike raises a good point where he says, you know, you're bringing so much to the table. Like a, a prime example would be, um, uh, let's say we put somebody on, um, Webflow. So we have a, we have a particular client that's on Webflow and his site is, is like friggin' big. It's big. Gets a lot of traffic, like a, over a hundred thousand hits a month, stuff like that. A lot of traffic, lots of traffic. Okay. He's on there, whatever. For whatever reason, he outgrows Webflow, whether he outgrows the features, whether uh, Webflow isn't fast enough for him. I don't know. I'm just making something up. Um, someone who's just a Webflow developer can't help him. Uh, it's going to be like, Hey, yeah, please, please call, please call another web agency. And have them work with me to uh, transition. I can, Mike and I, Mike and I can transition him. We know how to get the data off of there. Or at least I do. Uh, I know how to move it into WordPress. Um, and even though I have not done it before, I know of the procedure. I, but I have worked with WordPress, right? So there's always going to be holes in your knowledge, but it's still, I know what hosts to go to. I have a relationship with a host. I can uh, negotiate with the salespeople there to try to get a lower rate for the first year, stuff like that. This is all value. That are us as an agency and us as freelancers add to a project that is technical and non-technical. So you really have to think about what what you and your team are adding in value to the project. As a final example, something that's very common that we do is train people. We train people on how to use a CMS. I train people on WordPress quite a bit, two, three times a year at least, which is a lot for someone who's not constantly doing client work and you know i'll write up full guides 
on commonly used functions on what I think they're going to use. I will set up custom roles for them sometimes if they want me to so that they can't get themselves into trouble and stuff like that. Um, I'll have imagery uh, with little things underlined like, hey, you know, click the edit button. Here's where the edit button is and stuff like this. I'll make a little guide. It's not you know, a Picasso or some, some like amazing image of like a, you know, textbook ready, you know, let's be serious. It's a word doc that I exported as a PDF, but it, it's fully fledged. It has all the information there. It has the text. It has the images and everything. It's, it's for just that person. It's not for publishing. And we should just do that. You should just throw it in. And then I was thinking, I think in the one day I was like, man, I'm, I'm training, <laughs> I'm training people in something that I could sell a course in. So now I, I charge for it. No, I'm not charging a lot i'm charging you know a nominal amount but i'm still charging for that service in addition to the website because it's like hey i'm i'm training you and uh often i'll even say or pretty well every time i'll even say you know hey um you know if you have any questions call me and sometimes they'll call me six months out and i will answer those questions you know whether i should or should not i do and like should or should not as in like whether i should invoice them for it or not but i i'll just answer it and move along with my day and it's like, yeah, you know what? We should get a bit of compensation for that because otherwise they would have to go to some place and get trained and that training place would uh, charge them. They would charge them money for sure. So, well, you know, that's it. So that's the end of the val of like the identifying value section. Uh, I've touched on, I've touched on obviously a bunch of different points that Mike and I uh, go through. There's probably a bunch more that you probably thinking like, Hey, this is valuable that I do. And this is valuable. This is valuable. If you have any other points we thought you thought we should cover or that you cover in your value analysis, if you have that, um, you know, let us know in, in any of the socials, but I, I want to talk now, unless Mike has any comments, I want to talk now about what does value mean for your invoice? Right. And I think my comments will touch on that a little bit. So I'm not going to go too deep into it until you cover it. But really what I wanted to kind of highlight from what you were saying, Matt, is like the, when you start to get good at something and it becomes quote unquote easy for you, a lot of people will start to think that, Hey, I'm spending less time on it. So I should charge less. But the reality is always as you become an expert or as you become, have your expertise go up, your pricing should almost always go up for that thing that you're doing. So even though it might take you less time, it will be something that's more valuable to your client because it's going to be done in a more professional, quicker and more efficient way that will give them more value in the end. So it's really hard to change your thinking to that. And Matt will touch on this like literally right after I finish speaking. Uh, but there are different ways to charge. And I always try to lean on stopping charging for like a per hour rate. Obviously, there are certain situations where hourly is important and you still, we still do that. But if we can, a more value based billing approach is exactly intertwined with what I'm just saying right now, where like you got good at something. Yes, you can do it fast. You're much faster than you could do it before. That means that your prices go up. That means that you're now the expert in the subject and now your value that you're bringing, you can get them to speed 10 times faster than a developer that's just starting out that might be charging a lot less, but they're going to spend a lot more time on it. So that's where it kind of the give and take comes in. And again, Matt's going to talk more in depth on that right now. Well, actually, you, you reminded me of something, and I, I think it is important to mention this, that, you know, value is obviously a major part, major uh 
part of a project and can dictate your pricing, which we will touch on in a second. But Mike, you mentioned, you know, some, we, we try to get away from hourly, but there's situations in which we have done value based and it's bit us in the ass effectively. And we have, we are going back to hourly. For example, if I ever work with the government again, it's going to be on an hourly rate period <laughs> because even though it's value rate, it's, it's like, uh, something that you think just because it is the government, whatever, but just because like, let's say, for example, like they're asking you a question, you think it's going to be a quick exchange, like they're going to ask the question and I'm going to give you an answer. Maybe there's like a follow up question that could be three months in our experience. And therefore, I'm charging per hour, <laughs> period, full on. That's it per hour, because eventually it's like, oh, man, like we did not estimate this. And again, we've done only one government project. So maybe that was, you know, maybe it was a fluke or whatever, but learn the lesson. Now we're going to do hourly. And then we'll, if, if we ever do one, we'll see if the hourly works. So value is very important, but it's not the end all be all still be sort of still have your business sense around you and make sure you're getting paid fairly for what you're offering. So moving into this segment, then what does value mean for your invoice. Well, determining how much value the website or the web project that you're making provides to your client um, allows you to have a general idea as to what you're getting into. But that does not always dictate the price. For example, having a non-self-hosted website, WordPress blog, excuse me, may be super valuable to your client, meaning literally the WordPress.com service where they host it all and they handle everything for you for the most part, right? That might be super valuable to your client. But if you're helping them set something like that up because they're not tech savvy, I mean, are you going to really charge $10,000 like you might do for a custom WordPress site? And realistically, it's 10 to 20 minutes. So there's where the give and take comes in where, hey, this is for whatever reason, this this blog is super valuable to my client. And you know I'm not charging hourly, I'm charging value based, but it is only going to take 10 to 20 minutes. I don't got to do the maintenance. You know, it's not that hard. So, I mean, me personally, I ain't going to charge the 10,000. I might look at more like an hourly charge for that. Maybe I'll charge like, you know, an hour, a full hour. Maybe I'll charge like, like two hours. Cause there's going to be some, obviously some communication back and forth uh, to get the details to set up stuff like that. So it, there, there does come a time where you do have to, you know, again, have your business wits about you and think, okay, hang on, you know, I'm offering a lot of value, but this ain't really that big of a project. Maybe I need to adjust my pricing. And there's going to be weird little situations like this or different than this um, that you'll come across as well. Now, web agencies, as we mentioned, types like ways to charge types of invoicing, whatever web agencies will charge based on a variety of pricing schemes including, but obviously not limited to hourly. We already talked about that being charged, charging per hour, $60 an hour, hundred dollars an hour, whatever per project type. So for example, maybe you're making a golf, um, a, a golf web or sorry, you're making like a golf, um, website, but you guys are a part of a golf website making agency. <laughs> I'd really struggled to say that. So you guys are you know, really specialized. You, you're an agent, you're a web agency that only makes golfing websites. And so you have these really specific parameters where there's say a bronze, a silver and a gold package. So, you know, the parameters, like this one has five pages and this much bandwidth. This one has 10 pages and has a little bit of custom code. This one has, you know, 150 pages and, you know, has a, a full on uh, tea, tea time booking system, stuff like that. These 
very sort of niche down, very specific agency, very specific project types are very predictable, makes the project pricing predictable. And so those per that per project type is, you know, what's going to happen. Maybe it's 3K, 6K, 10K, something like that, because you know what you're getting into. What we most commonly do is this next one, which is per project analysis. So we'll do a full technical analysis for the client and then send them a quote based upon what we think should be done and then what that work will cost them. And this is done per client. So if uh, Mike approaches me and he wants a golf website and uh, the my neighbor approaches me and also wants a golf website, I'm not in the per project thing. I'm analyzing each one and I'm going to take a look, even though it's in the same thing. And I'm going to take a look. And I'm going to say, Mike, you know, you're on an old WordPress. You're on this and that. we got to change your theme up. That's going to be pretty big. Uh, you know, we need to really change this. Maybe my neighbor uh, is just having trouble with logging into his WordPress and there's something wrong with the cookies. Okay. You know, I'll go in, take a look at the cookies, you know, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, 300 bucks, whatever it is, those type of things. So it's a per project analysis because I don't have like a fixed project type where and I will say this, Mike and I, when we started, we did have a fixed project type where we tried to sell. Hey, you know, here's a fully fledged, uh, you know, um, business website, small business website has this many pages, this and that five hundred dollars, that type of thing. But we found that per project analysis makes a lot more sense for us because we then we can choose, you know, are we hourly here? Are we value based? Is it a mix of both? Um, you know, are we offering them, uh, you know. Are we extending an olive branch, if you will, to say, hey, this site's really old, but you don't you don't got the budget. I can probably hack together a fix for you to keep it running for a couple of years. Do you want that versus, you know, someone who comes in and says, you know, this project type is project type one and we need to apply the small business package to your thing. Uh, we need to completely rip up what you have and uh, move over any data that is applicable and do that. We just find the per project analysis makes more sense for us. Again, it's based upon what you want to offer, what you offer and what works best for you. Next one is value-based pricing, which we've already talked about, but it's, you know, how valuable is your project to the client and how valuable is, are you and your agency to, to this, to your client? Like we mentioned, you know, what's your skill set, how much experience, et cetera, et cetera, those type of things. You know, also another thing to consider is, do you offer a better customer service experience than your competitors? Do your competitors ghost people and say, I will talk to you next week and then disappear frequently because we all miss emails, but do they consistently miss, miss emails or quote unquote miss emails and, and say, I'll talk to you next week and then don't talk to the people for a month? Um, you know, do you miss, do they miss deadlines all the time? You know, what, what's your customer service experience like? Do you let people know, Hey, I'm really sorry. I missed this or, Hey, I just missed your email. Um, or, you know, you, you're really diligent. You never miss emails, stuff like that. Like, are you letting your client know what's happening? So they're not wondering like, what is going on here? Are you trying to stick to the quote so that you're not surprising people, those type of things. And so, like I said, Per project analysis is what Mike and I do, and it allows us to be flexible, where we can charge per specific project type if we want, although we haven't done that in a number of years. We can do value-based pricing or hourly, which is the two more common ones that we do ourselves. Now, like I said, we obviously do that. We obviously do our per project analysis, but like where does where does value, where does value come into play when it comes to doing this. So let's say, for example, uh, Mike brings me uh, a website. Uh, Mike, give me a website example. Give me a web. Give me a give me an example of something where you would want it fixed or upgraded or replaced. 
that's a good question. Uh, let's talk about IGN. IGN, like the gaming website. Yes, the gaming website. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, like, let's say, for example, you bring me something where uh, you have a, a blog that's you know similar to IGN. You have a few staffers, whatever. You write out, you write articles, you make videos, whatever. But your website's older, and let's say IGN is your main competitor, and you know you're like, hey, IGN is you know you know kicking my ass. You know that my site's slow. It's this. It's that. What do you want? So, a lot of people will you know ask you know what you know what 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 do you charge? And what we'll answer is is like, hey. We got to get in there. We got to take a look. We got to see what it is. We got to make sure that what you have, like your CMS, like maybe it's WordPress, Webflow, I don't care, whatever. We got to make sure that that's still right for you. And we got to see what's wrong with it. Is there something wrong with it? Is it maybe your images are just too big? Like, what is it? We have to go through that. And then it it might come down to, hey, your images are too big. Everything else is cool. Your design's cool. Everything's cool. Your, your images are too big. We're going to then choose hourly. Because it's just data entry. I'm going to take all your images. I'm going to compress them. And I'm going to put them back in. Hourly. I'm not going to like. Yeah, it's valuable. But it's very like robotic. <laughs> where I'm like taking 100 images and fixing them. And then re-uploading them. To, to, the, to the, the user, they only see a performance increase. They don't know why. But if, if I'm like, man. Like you're on, you're on WordPress. I don't think you should be. I think you need a full custom React site. I think you need this and that and the other thing and this, 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 this. You should go on a headless CMS and whatever. Like, I need you to, I, I think you should do all this. Fair enough. Right. So fair enough. So now I'm going to take a look at how much value that is. You know, this guy, he has a really popular website. Um, his competitors are coming after him. He needs this quick because he needs to remain relevant. He needs to keep his SEO, his link equity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. This is my pricing based mostly on value. That type of thing. So just a, another example as to how our per project analysis, you know, where value comes into play there. Yeah. And I think in, another aspect that we do take in and we should take in more often, for instance, with an e-commerce website, uh, if someone comes to you and they need an e-commerce, if their sales, let's say, are, you know, $20,000, $50,000 monthly, let's say, in that range, uh, you know that if they need an upgrade to their e-commerce website – your value has to be within reality for them in that range. Like you have to either charge, you know, X amount of their sales monthly if you're going to be doing a month or two of work, or you have to charge X amount of their sales, you know, half a year or a year, depending on how much you're actually doing, how much value you're going to be bringing. If your mindset is, hey, I can upgrade the site, I can optimize your SEO and I can, you know, get you the proper Google ads or something like that. Like if you have your expertise in Google ads and I can up your sales by three times or four times within six months, if that's your mindset and that's your skill set, we're not saying that we do that, but other people do have that skill set, your value that you're bringing and the amount you're charging should be based on what they're going to be making at the end of the day. If you can confidently say that you can bring them that much increase in revenue and that's really Talk to any business that's going to reach out to you. What is their number one goal with having a website? It's to increase their revenue. That's their number one goal. Whether it be by people finding them, whether it be by making it easier for people to contact them, whether it be by people communicating with them with, with the website, whether it be by people buying stuff from the website, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's revenue that you're trying to increase for the client. If you can increase a revenue by some sort of substantial amount, 
you should be charging a substantial amount, even if the work that you're doing isn't that complicated. But because of your expertise and the value that you're bringing, you can do that work and other people can't. Your amount goes up, period. You charge, you know, $20,000, $40,000 for a website. You can do that. The people, the people do do that. We, we are not in the business of massive e-commerce websites, but I have spoken to multiple different agency agencies, multiple different just developers that have gone through this process where they, they know that, Hey, they've done seven different e-commerce websites before. This is how they did it. And this is how much percentage they increase people's pricing, people's uh, revenue, their next client, they're going to charge that value. And it makes sense. For the client too, because again, they're getting more concrete data. They're getting a person that can come in and tell them that they're going to increase revenue. That's a huge value. It doesn't matter if they're charging $20,000 because you're going to make that money back in a month or two. And then even more on top of that every month after that. That's the point. That's kind of like, it's a different kind of value-based billing at that point. And it's something that we don't have expertise in. I just want to clarify there, but it's something that it is an important aspect if you're out there and you're an agency starting up and your expertise is in e-commerce that you should think about. And there's ways to, you know, you're, you're, we're talking about value-based billing. There, there's ways to approach clients differently based upon the value level, if you will, that you're offering. Um, you might be thinking this whole time, like you, the listener, might be thinking, hey, you know, I, I am offering a great value. But this client is not willing to go above $8,000. I'm comfortable at $8,000, but I think it should be 10 because of the value. Like, you know, do I not do the project? Do I do the project? Whatever. And so we've come up with uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple of strategies and parameters in which we navigate with value in mind when we talk to a client based upon whether or not their, their thing is valuable or not. I'm going to die, apparently. <clears throat> Okay, <clears throat> excuse me. Now, if the website is valuable to the client, here's some tips and tricks that we've come up with, some uh, parameters and different ways to approach the project. That's more than just raise the price on the invoice. First one here, offer maintenance packages and other monthly services like backups to keep their data safe. These are things that we charge for. These are people, if you, if you talk to a client and, and they're, you want 10,000 and they only, they're only willing to pay eight. But you go, but you realize that they, they, they hate inconvenience. You know, they, they, they have already asked you, you know, Hey, after this project's done, how do I engage you? How does it look? What does it look like? And stuff like that. You can offer maintenance packages and other monthly services like backups, like I said, to keep their data safe. And you sell it like that. You say, Hey, I'm going to give you a pool of three hours a month. You can call me and you, you know, you pay me per month. I do your backups for you. I do your WordPress updates, whatever you negotiate in there. And you got three hours and the hours do not roll over or maybe they do whatever, like again, do whatever, like whatever you, whatever works for your business. But you say, okay, you know, I'm going to charge a hundred dollars a month for this, $200 a month for this. This is what I'm going to charge. And you're going to, you're going to sell it, like sell it like as if, Hey, this is for your convenience. If something goes horribly wrong, it sucks, but I have a backup. I have a backup for you. Stuff like that. So if, Again, like if, you, if if the website's very valuable to the client, selling little things like that to them m might be, and in our experience, is is very, rather easy. To them, they're thinking, well, you know, it's two hundred a month, but it's only two hundred a month. And like Mike said, you know, if they're making whatever it is, you said ten thousand, twenty thousand a month on e-commerce, it's like 
Do we want to lose all our client records if something goes wrong? Not really. Do we want to have to call you? You take a look. You make a quote. We approve the quote. You schedule the work. Like, do we want to, you know, smooth that over a bit and just have a pool of hours in which you say, I'm going to work for three hours based up like for not for free, but included. And if I go to five, I'll just send you the bill for the next for the other two. Like how much more, how much more convenient is that? If the website's valuable, boom, you're in. And that's a way to quote unquote raise your price without raising your price right on the initial invoice. Also, another one offer better hosting options that will allow their website to perform well. Maybe, maybe you're offering automatic remote backups is a big one. Maybe you're offering more control like, Hey, you know, let's, let's get you off a of shared hosting. Let's put you on VPS. Let's put you on dedicated. Let's put you on cloud, whatever, something like that. 24 seven support from the host side. There are places where once you start getting into VPS and dedicated, you can hire the actual host itself and hire the host itself to do stuff for you. You can say, Hey, you know, uh, I want to buy a pool of hours. I want to buy, you know, three, four hours every month. And it's for development or sysadmin hours. Um, it's for uh, backup or, uh, excuse me, downtime monitoring. I want to have redundant systems. I want to have someone ready because if I'm unavailable as like a solo or like a small team, if I'm unavailable, I want to offer this to my client and you manage all this hosting stuff. And then you can charge a fee on top of what the hosting cost is. Obviously you pass the hosting cost on to your client and then you pass your fee for managing that hosting cost onto the client. And again, this is all because the website's valuable and this is convenient and this is value. This is even more value adding. It's adding value to something that is valuable. That's the number one thing. Now, if something is particularly valuable to a client, then there's a good chance that they'll be very particular about this. I'm sure a lot of you guys, a lot of people now are rolling their eyes thinking, oh boy, here we go. Yeah, they'll be very particular about it. Your client will be very particular about it. And they may contact you frequently or ask you for a lot of changes. These scenarios have to be considered and need to be built into your pricing somehow. So when you're maybe doing the initial, the, the initial like analysis or maybe you're doing like the initial walk through your, the, the, or not walk through, but the, the meeting with the person in person or online and you kind of gauge where they're at, where are they really particular? Are they going to call you a lot? Stuff like that. These are things where you can take, not take advantage of, but these are things that you should be watching out for and finding out and thinking, okay, this person's going to call me a bunch. Um, they're going to like not be too happy that I'm charging them for calls, but like there needs to be some sort of pricing for communication. So let's, let's do that. You know, let's offer a maintenance package that has communication built in. Um, let's offer, um, you know, just communication. Like let's, let's put a communication section of the quote in where we assume three hours a month or stuff like that. Because once again, the project is valuable to them and you are adding value to them too because they like, they are seeing the project as valuable. They may be super particular and you'll spend weeks moving a heading, left align, next month, center, next month, right align, next month, right, next month, left, like back, forth, left, right, like center, all over the place. And it's just a heading. And this person will call you three times a week about this because they're super particular and they see their site as very valuable to their brand. 
So you need to, you know, somehow work that in if you think that's going to happen into your prices because they're engaging you because you are valuable to the valuable product. Now, there's a, there's a second way to approach this. And this is if you determine that the website is not that valuable. If the website that you're making is something like it doesn't have, it has a substitute. It doesn't have a major function in their company. It's something they could ignore. It's something that if it went down, they wouldn't notice it for weeks. Stuff like that. Well, what we'll do is we'll avoid discussions on topics that are advanced. For example, I'm not going to even talk to them about hosting options. I'll tell them we got to host it. Here's the price. I'll just give them what I think we need, what I think they need, excuse me, something like shared hosting with an included domain, something really cheap. And I'll pass it on to them and, you know, whatever, charge the reseller hosting on it or whatever, but I'll just give them exactly what they need. A couple of gigs of web space or whatever, and that's it. That's all they need. I'm not even going to talk to them about it. I don't need to talk to them about bronze, silver, gold packages and all this. They don't care. They want this business card website to be up and they do not care. So that's it. I'm not even going to talk to them about it. Hosting. 20 bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, whatever it is. Here you go. And that's it. Done. Another one. We're going to avoid high maintenance components of the site. This affects development. What does that mean? Avoid high maintenance components of a site. This means that we're not going to install things that need to be consistently and constantly maintained. Things that are going to become a hassle to the client. We're going to make it as much as we can so that the site can sit there. And live on a hosting services for, listen, live on a hosting service, excuse me, for years to come. No one needs to go in there and update PHP versions. No one's going in there changing API keys. No one's going in there changing licensing keys. No one's updating anything. That's it. It's over. Now, sure, you might say, Hey, you know, that's insecure, but like many of these sites are just HTML, CSS and like maybe JavaScript. Many of these sites, many of these sites that are not valuable don't even have a, an email form. So, I mean, if, if someone like breaks into it, I mean, they're not getting any information because there's no one, there's no client information on there, you know, so that's it. So just something that's low maintenance, that doesn't matter. And that's it. Now I want to be clear. The reason why I mentioned this is maybe the client, maybe the, um, the website is not very valuable to the client and you're trying to avoid high maintenance components, but they want e-commerce in there, but they still don't value the site. You got to do some, you got to do some maintenance on that thing. I'm not saying don't maintain stuff like that. If something needs maintenance, something needs to be there, then whatever. But I'm saying to avoid the hassle whenever possible and whenever applicable. And that's that. That's how we change and manipulate our invoice and how we charge based on value. Now, Mike and I are primarily a development house. You know, I do UI UX design to an extent, but I'm not a person that like makes the branding and does all that type of thing. So I, I want to touch on the valuable facets of a web project because we talked mostly about the development and stuff like this. But there's a bunch of parts of web development, of websites, of web projects that are valuable. And web projects are big, you know, just straight up. They encompass a lot of different skills and expertise. And to maximize their value, you know, from top to bottom, we're talking about, and I'm probably missing some, but we're probably, we're looking at branding, uh, marketing. So maybe advertising blog posts, advertising the website itself, uh, e-commerce products that are on sale, when to run an actual sale price, when to have a coupon, stuff like that. Design, right? Designing the website, but then also designing other things like digital ads that might go on Facebook or something that the person takes, purchases ad, ad time, whatever. Physical brochures in a like style. 
somebody might want to have a physical event and that physical event is advertised on their website. And obviously, because it's a physical event, there might be physical brochures, but they want the design language to be similar because of the branding. So that design right there. Developers, as we've been talking constantly about this episode. Data entry. We've also mentioned that this episode. Sales, you know, product pages make for a great visual reference during calls. We've had, we've had people, I didn't even know they were doing this. We, we have people that are on WooCommerce, but they don't, they don't sell online. They just, they needed an inventory management sort of thing where they have a lot of products and like something went wrong and they called us and they're like, man, this is really affecting our sales. And I was like, affecting your sales. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I didn't think a lot of people were going to these pages. And they said, no, we use, <laughs> we use these product pages for all our sales calls. No idea. Never told me that. So. It was a site we inherited, but it's sort of like, oh, okay. So it's like, yeah, you know, product pages make for a great visual reference during calls and stuff like that. Sales is a part of a web project. So people, the, the salespeople might specifically ask for certain things on the product pages, on the website, a newsletter signups, a quick link that they can easily remember, like, you know, my website, whatever the website's name is, dot com slash, you know, something easy, like slash contact, slash sales, slash whatever, stuff like that. That's all great for sales. And with that, SEO as well. SEO people that min-max SEO with blog posts, with metadata, with all kinds of stuff. Mike and I will do a lot of technical SEO. I know a fair bit about, you know, regular, if you will, SEO, marketing SEO, if you will. But there's people out there that just do SEO. That's all they do. They read it, read, write, and change SEO stuff all day, all night, and everything. We talked about this in passing several times, but time to talk about it for real. Content. Literally, the creation and the management of content is is huge. There's if you're making video content, you're uploading that to your site. You got producers, you got filmmakers, you got whatever else. You got writers for blog posts. You got all that type of stuff. Of course, it's a huge, valuable asset, huge, valuable facet, if you will, of a web project. And the final one that I have listed here, communication, taking customer feedback and then implementing those changes on the site into the marketing, into wherever the feedback makes sense. And so the website is the website may be the place where they collect the feedback, but maybe not. Maybe the person comes up, maybe it's an in more in-person business and they say, Hey, your website's kind of weird. Like I clicked on the phone number and it called not the call center. It called one location, but you have two and that's kind of confusing. It's like, Hey, you know, you're right. Let's fix that. So these are all valuable facets of a web project that I wanted to bring up because big agencies, or if you're trying to build a big agency, may need people in all these areas or a bunch of these areas. And I didn't want to like leave them hanging because at the end of the day here, this is a, like you're, you're, you're identifying your value. Imagine being able to say, I'm not just going to make you your website. I'm going to market. I can market for you too. I can change your, I can make your branding. I can do all your data entry. Like I got a data entry specialist. I can, I can do all the content writing, even though we don't know much about selling apples or whatever the heck you sell, whatever the heck your client sells. Like we can have somebody research that and write some great SEO optimized articles to get more people to your site. All these are value adds. All these are different expertise and all these are different skills. Absolutely. Just just before you go on, I think I think it's also important to note that if you're just starting out, focusing on one of these is a great option as well. Like you don't have to know the whole stack that Matt was just saying. I think that was his point, too. But uh, like a large agency might have a person for each one of those positions. Right. But a small agency like Matt and I, we don't have branding people. We don't really have marketing people. We know the basics of marketing. Uh, we could do data entry. Our sales is not the greatest for either of us. SEO, we only know the basics. We're learning a lot more now. 
uh, and content creation. Again, we're learning a lot more on that side. Like we, we're, we're building up our rep, our, our value, our skills to the point where, you know, two people can manage. But we couldn't take on this whole stack. There's no chance that we could do everything that Matt just said. There's just zero chance. But focusing on for, for us in is design and development has been our ticket to success. So we didn't have to go and branch out to all these other ones other than the basics for a long time. Now we're doing it now because we think that there's other value to have other clients that we can grab or just content that we can create because we're not just a web development agency anymore. Right. So we need to know what's around the web development sphere to be able to talk about it enough. So that was a very big, very big pushing force for us to learn more. But in terms of what you have to do right now, don't let this massive list of valuable skills scare you from starting at being an expert in SEO. If you really hate development and it's, or it's just a side thing for you, SEO, there's SEO experts that are making bank, like tons of money, tons of value you can add there. Just content creation, like Matt said, like all of these in a silo, data entry. I mean, you could, you could actually do data entry work there. There is a lot of jobs for just data entry, but I'm just saying like a lot of these in a silo can be a very big career booster or client like you know, get clients and just money in general. They can, you can generate a, a huge income just being an expert in one of these. That's exactly it, right? Is it's like you and I are, you know, de- developing our skills and stuff, but there's, like you said, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way you and I could do all this. And so, like, for years, we've always been like, oh my God, like, you know, it sucks. Like, these other places are doing full branding and this and that. And, you know, we, we, we don't do that. We can't do that. But then we also hear horror stories where a lot of the clients that we get, they come to us. From a place that's that tried to do all this with like two to three, maybe four people most. And then they're like, man, something like from a technical perspective went wrong and they were unable to fix it. And you and I have gone in, Mike, in about five minutes, been like, isn't this the problem? And you just quickly correct it. And that's it. And now the problem's fixed and it's over. And that's huge. Like, <laughs> that's a huge thing. And it's because we like more or less specialize in these areas. And that's why so many different skills and expertise and stuff like this can mi- really min-max the value to a web project. Now, I do want to re-mention those really high prices that I mentioned in the beginning of those are in those articles and those YouTube videos that people mentioned. Big web projects that encompass all these areas, or a lot of them, and maybe even more, because I've definitely not covered everything, are the reason why some people get away. Chances are why some people get away with charging $20,000 for a website. They're charging a lot right away so that a project can go to wherever it needs to go without stopping for development, stopping for another quote, stopping for, hey, you know, you did want e-commerce. Okay, pause the project. You know, let's have a chat, have another quote, stuff like this. Like, for example, a small static website for a business is, let's just say we quoted at $500. That's fine. You're happy with that. You do it. It takes a couple of days, whatever. But then e-commerce, all of a sudden, via scope creep or whatever, becomes a necessity. It's like, okay, this project now has to go, has to have a pause. We can have conversations on this, figure out the scope, the new scope, have another quote. The quote has to be approved. Then that work, once it's approved, has to be scheduled and then has to be worked upon. It's a lot of stop and go. So what a lot of these bigger web projects do is say, I want 20K up front, but I'm bringing you a bunch of things, marketing and branding and this and that, whether they're subcontracting out to other people or they have a big team themselves. But this is why it's value based. 
this is this is a, a prime example of value based pricing because they're saying I'm bringing you a full suite of you know products. I'm bringing you a full suite of skills rather, and this is big. You know, like 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 this is going to allow you to constantly call me. We're going to have tons of back and forth, and we're going to make one killer website for you. We're going to deploy it. We're going to make sure it works. It's going to be optimized, and it's going to be great. Whereas again, you you start working with somebody, and I'll start touching on cheap clients in a second, but you start working with somebody that's kind of cheap who wants to approve everything. And it's like, okay, we've now built the slider. That was $200. Blog post one will commence in one week and will cost $150. You like, it's slow. It's not fluid. It's not fast. It's just sort of like, it's based on price instead of based on value. And it's clunky for both you. It's clunky for the client and that type of thing. And it's a perfect transition actually into cheap clients. So I mentioned it as like, Hey, you know, you might be thinking to yourself, maybe my, maybe my clients are just cheap. Maybe they're cheap. And yeah. Oh yeah. There's cheap clients. Some clients don't value your service. There are some situations in which the client does not found, does not find your services valuable. They just want a website because they think it's something that they need without thinking of, it even positively they might just be like oh fine i'll get i guess i'll get a website and they don't it doesn't affect their day-to-day they just think it's the modern thing to do and that's it they don't have a use for the website you're making is a common red flag they're just sort of like well i don't know just make it a website like i don't, I don't care and it's like well already this kind of this project kind of sucks like i don't know about this you know This person doesn't care and we're just getting started. Like what's going on here? That type of thing. And these type of clients will often be quick to complain, usually complain about the pricing. They'll almost always try to negotiate a lower price or they'll try to fix a price in such a way that there's literally no wiggle room for profit. If any sort of scope creep happens or if anything goes wrong. So they're trying to lock you into your absolute lowest price and lock you into it. Not just like have a quote where you're like, I think it's approximately going to be $500. They're going to be like, no, 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 I'm going to pay 500. And it's like, oh, great. So if something goes wrong, great. And then in our experience, you know, we get a lot of changes. We get a lot of changes and scope creep from clients like this, where their vision of the website changes every single time you meet with them. So you're spending time changing the, again, like I said, the alignment of a title for weeks on end versus Someone who values what what you're doing. They want their site up and running and they want their product selling via the e-commerce functionality as quickly as possible. They could care less about the superficial alignment of titles. And even if they are particular and they do care, they value the site being up and selling and then they'll bug you about the superficial. They, they, they have a use for the site you're making. These other people do not have a use more than likely for what you're making or they don't care about it for whatever reason. They're just assigned to this task and it's like, ugh. and so you're going to have problems with these. And we've had we've had Mike. We mentioned this on the show. Mike was called one time asked to make an Uber Eats, an Uber Eats clone for one hundred dollars. Do you remember that, Mike? And the guy's like the guy was like, my cousin said he would do it for like seventy five. And it's like. Then call your cousin. Like, why? Yeah. Are you, why are you calling us? Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of times uh, these clients treat it like a, a bargaining session and a and haggle. I, in my eyes, honestly, um, 
as soon as a client starts to haggle, at least on a large scale, like if I'm saying, hey, it's going to be 500 and they go start lowballing at 100, and this is arbitrary, but that it to me is an instant no. Like I'm just, I'm not going to deal with that um, because that's when you know it's a, it's probably a cheap client. That's when you know it's not going to work. Uh, and it's, it's perfectly fine. Like it, I have no problem and I, I do it respectfully. I just say like, Hey, this is just not in our budget, not in our scope. Like we can't take, take on a project like this at the time. Uh, if you need any other help, let us know. Like I don't, I don't like, you know, talk back to them or tell them that they're cheap. Like obviously don't do that because down the line, they might go to a bunch of different people, come back to you eventually. And maybe they are a good client. Who knows? It's not an, like you can't just write someone off from one interaction. Um, but in general, to generalize, a lot of times when we've had these situations where someone comes up to us and tries to haggle us down with whatever technique, my cousin can do it or something, those are the clients that it's just not ideal to work with because they're treating it more as a more as a transaction rather than a partnership. And I always like to kind of think of this relationship and this like the project that you're working on as a partnership where you're trying to get somewhere. You're not trying to complete the project just to complete it and have a check mark. You're trying to make them more money. And so if they're not willing to spend money to make themselves more money, then I, there's just no point in doing that transaction. Like there's just, it's not a transaction that you want to do for both for the client's sake and your sake. Or make something cool if it's like a hobbyist thing where they're like, I love taking pictures. I want to have a cool digital photo gallery, but it's just a hobby. It's like they care. You know, they care about the site. They have a use for it. They wanted something cool. And you're there. You're like, yeah, let's make it cool. You're not going to be like, yeah, man, whatever. Let's get a quick uh, photo uh, gallery plugin for WordPress. You know, it's very robotic. It's very like, yeah, whatever, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, sure, it might boil down to that. But you're still there for it. And you're still there to make something cool or make them more money. Like Mike said, absolutely. And the last thing here is that some clients are just unfunded or cheap. Now, that sounds harsh, right? Someone's low on money. You don't want to be making fun of them. Or maybe they just have a lack of desire to pay you for something, even if they have the means. Some people have a bunch of money and they're like, I ain't paying you. I ain't paying you more than a hundred bucks. But these type of clients, you know, they, they can really drain your business. And it's, it's again, sad, but it is a business. It's not a charity. If you really, really care about the cause of a person that just can't afford it and you really want to do it, of course, go ahead and do it if you think it's okay. But these type of clients that can't pay or won't pay will often try to rope you in with comments like, I'm really committed to this project. This thing will take off and then I'll pay you a fair share. Stuff like that. You know, having worked with people like Mike and I have worked with people like this several times before, I can say that to date, as of right now, as of recording this, I have never been paid a fair shake and none of those projects have ever taken off. Not a single one of them has ever taken off to the same degree that that person has advertised it would. Many of them are shut down. Will some projects take off, though? Of course. And some web devs will get paid a lot for it. They'll get into one of these deals and they'll get paid a whole bunch for it. But in our experience, in my experience, I'm out in this regard. Unless I really care for the cause where I'm like, yeah, you know what? That sounds awesome. You know, I, I, you're making an awesome mod for a game that I play and you want a website for it. Like, it's normally $2,000 website. Whatever. I'll just do it for free for you. Don't worry about it. Just pay the hosting costs or something. Like, just pay the cost. Like, I don't care. Sure. That sounds awesome. Maybe I would do that at some point in my life. Like, I've, that has never happened, but stuff like that, of course, right? You're like, oh, that's a great charity. You know what? I'll do that. But there comes a point when, you know, you can't be living off of people paying you $25 a month 
And like, how many people would you need to pay you twenty five dollars a month to make a difference? It'd be, you know, it's 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 not going to work. So you you do have to think of things as as a business, and you know, you don't have to be a jerk about be about this, but you're just sort of like, hey, man, sorry, that just doesn't work for me. Like, you know, make sure that your value is being paid for, or you know, like I said, maybe you just want to be a part of that project, and that's valuable enough to you. And you're like, yeah, I'd love to make this charity site. Yeah, I'd love to make this. You know, game mod site. That sounds awesome. I'd love to be involved in this. There you go. There's your value. It doesn't need to be money. There's your value. But do remember you are running a business. So be wary of this. Now, you, like I said, you can always help people that you believe in. You can always help people that you believe in their cause. But remember that they're, that they're going to take just as much time, if not more, than a regular sort of paying job, client, whatever. So be wary of it. Just because you're super gung ho and would love to be a part of the project, it is a bit of a financial hit if you consider time is money, which time is money, effectively. So just remember that you, you know, be, be, allow yourself to do projects you want to do, of course. Be wary of this, but it is a bit of a financial hit if you are taking, you know, something at zero dollars or much lower than you normally would, because these projects are still going to take a long time unless you somehow negotiate it where you're like, I'm going to build you a site. You don't get any changes and I'm out of here. Fair enough. Stuff like that. So that's kind of my final note. Some clients just are cheap. Some clients just can't afford it, which is unfortunate. But, you know, run your business the way in in such a way that it benefits you. Um, And, you know, whether you whether you're getting gaining value through doing that project because you think it's cool or, um, you know, getting monetary value. But don't. um, don't like sink yourself. <laughs> Don't like completely ruin your finances trying to help somebody where they're just going to take their work and be like, damn, that guy went bankrupt helping me on to the next web developer. You know, like don't put yourself in a, in a bad situation. And a lot of times just to like end it on this note, a lot of times these kinds of situations, the unfunded or quote unquote cheap situations are going to come from uh, family or friends. I think that's. Oh, yeah. That's an important one to realize. So um, this is where it gets a little bit complicated. But a lot of times what I like to do is I like to be very realistic with them. I will since we've had this experience several times now, Matt and I, where friends or family have come to us with an idea or something like that, like a new social media site or something. I always sit down. I'll give them my time in that sense where I'll go through and just be realistic and be like, this is how much. You're gonna have to get to get to a point of break even. This is this is this is gonna be your 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 point of scaling. This is like I'll I'll tell them where the difficulties lie in their idea because ninety percent of the time they have not thought it through. Um, they have not done enough research. They haven't talked talked to enough developers or marketers or whatever to realize that the reason that social media sites don't work anymore, like you can't just create a social media site, is because getting to that point of Having enough users to start generating income on ads is almost impossible now. Like you have to be a massive viral success to get there, right? So this is where you have to be a realist with them. You don't have to crush their dreams because if someone's passionate, they'll find a way and you want to stoke that passion, right? Or at least have a stepping stone or something like that. But if you lay it out to them in real terms, like this is what it's going to take for you to get there, like I, I can't help you with it or whatever, 
then it might help them either move on or figure out a way to do what they're trying to do a little bit better. So it's kind of a win-win situation for you. You don't seem like the dick and you're also help helping them save time, save money in, in the end because hopefully they won't burn like $100,000 of their own cash trying to make the next Twitter um, because that's something that could easily happen if they think they have this novel idea if no one is that like person that can can fight back against them or can can give them the real view and not just, you know, clap them on the back and say, that's a great idea, sir, um, and push them along their way. Uh, the last thing I will mention for people that really like to listen to our podcasts, uh, we said value and valuable hundreds of times in this episode. I'd love to know how many times we said it. So if someone wants to go back <laughs> and do a value count for us, let us know, uh, you know, tag me obviously in at HTML everything on Twitter and I will definitely retweet that because at one point, Matt, you were going off on the value rant and it was like value, 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 value. I'm, like, I'm thinking it's the value episode. It's, it's, yeah, the, it's value the value episode. episode. It's the value episode. So I'm curious to see how many values we actually got in there. That'd be wild. It'd be wild for someone to count all that. I'm down to see it. <laughs> but uh, if you uh, if you like this episode, like episodes like this, remember we are on Patreon. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. We got a couple of tiers on there. Uh, one of them is, I think, a dollar, which is just like a tip. And the other one is like a $3 tier patron where it's limited in, in quantity, but you can have your name and your website uh, put at the end, just like these fine people did. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Self-Made Web Designer, selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com. DL Ford from dl4.io. Bip hashtag 9blockmedia, 9blockmedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com. Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via YesWeb.se, Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale, and Fire Ant Season via FireAntSeason.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on, and this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.